This message this morning is going to be about ministry, and I need to preface it because I don't want you to think that I'm um, unhappy or trying to, uh, you know, beat you up over ministry, okay? Um, We all had a a busy week, and we all did a lot of things, and and, um, this is just what's next, okay? So that's what I'm preaching, okay? It's coinciding with being tired from VBS um, it, it was not my plan, but it's God's plan, so we're going to do that. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and if you have your scripture and want to open up to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, um, we're going to read verses 12 through 20, and uh, then we'll talk about those, but um, let's, uh, let's read there. This is what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy. Verse 12, beginning there, it says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in my unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Among whom I am foremost of all, Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 18, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. Keeping faith and a good conscience, which have, excuse me, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so they will be taught not to blaspheme. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Loving Father, you have, have given us everything that we need for life. Father, you even gave your son so that we might have eternal life. Father, we're so thankful for your Holy Spirit who is our teacher and guide. And I pray that even this morning, Father, as it says in Joel, that in these last days, you will pour out your spirit upon our sons and our daughters. And I pray, Father, that you would do that. Father, I pray for a a spirit of of refreshment. I pray for a spirit of of repentance uh, all across this land. And God, that you would do that for your glory and for your honor and that your kingdom would be built up. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you do for us every single day. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
So last week we talked some about Paul and his letter here to Timothy, but uh, Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus to confront some of the false teachers that were there uh, that, that were teaching um, some things that, that weren't, uh, that weren't uh, with the gospel but that had to do with the law, but he didn't want them uh, going astray. And I want to say that it probably wasn't a fun assignment for Timothy, um, especially someone with his disposition. Timothy was somebody who was timid. He was somebody who didn't necessarily like confrontation. He was somebody that was young and um, really probably did not feel qualified to, to call out uh, those who were uh, teaching falsely. And um, he was um, probably tempted to look for a more, um, a different situation, okay? I mean, most of us would probably feel that way. And, and Paul urges him to remain on and to confront the problems in order to deal with this. And um, he reminds Timothy of the gospel that he's to preach and he is, Paul is diverted to remind Timothy again of the life-changing power of the gospel as experienced by Paul. In the New Testament, we have Paul's testimony uh, probably six times. And we look at this, and this is one more recounting of his testimony of where he came from and where he is. And it's interesting because you see that in this passage, he says, um, it was the Lord Jesus Christ that put him into the ministry. In other words, the Lord is what gave him, is who gave him his ministry. And you think about this, he was formerly somebody who persecuted the church. He was somebody who was blaspheming Jesus Christ. He was somebody who was violently aggressive against Christians. And he said, I found mercy. It's because of God's grace and he says, I am the foremost of sinners. He doesn't say I was. He didn't say I used to be. He said I am. And he found God's grace. And we need to understand that God's grace and mercy are foundational to ministry and to the gospel message. Recognize that with humility, Paul is saying, man, Jesus put me into service. He, he gave me something to do, even though I didn't deserve any of it. Folks, we need to remember that. We need to remember that in our own lives. We need to remember where we came from and where God has put us. And, and he's given us a ministry you know, in this passage, Paul returns to his task of, of telling Timothy to hang in there. Don't give up. Hang in there. And, and, and God has called you to this. Hang in there. And, and these verses reveal um, seven principles of ministry that I want to give you this morning. And, and what I want you to understand is I'm, I'm really not, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. Y'all have been here. Y'all are doing ministry. You're all doing this. But recognize that, that we need to be reminded of, of, of many things. But this call, this, this call to the ministry is for every believer. When he calls us out of the darkness, when he calls us out of the slimy pit, he calls us to serve. Each and every one of us 
is a minister. And you might, you might, you know, if somebody asked you today, well, who's your minister over there at Memorial? You might say Ridge Adams. But that's incorrect. Because there's probably 200, 250 people here at Memorial that are ministers. We all minister. If we're saved, if we're, if we're called out by God, then we are a minister. And we need to recognize that, that each and every one of us who calls Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior is in the ministry. Not only that, we're becoming good soldiers. See, these are not only principles that you need to know, but I want to say this, if you're involved in ministry, you won't even survive without these, okay? I mean, you need these. There's, they're not the most basic, uh, but, but we need to know them. And, um, you know, to serve the Lord faithfully in ministry, you need to understand and, 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 and follow, really, these principles. And the first principle is this, is that the ministry is a sacred trust to be obeyed. The ministry is a sacred trust to be obeyed. Look down in verse 18. And, and, and the Apostle Paul, he says, this command, this command I entrust to you. It's the same words he used in verses 3 and 5 of this, of this chapter and, rever- and refers to the command to promote sound doctrine and, and confronting these false teachers and their doctrines. You see, this is a military term. And it's a military term that means an order that is passed down from the ranks, from the superior to the subordinate. And so Paul is saying he's received these orders from the Lord and he passes them on to Timothy and Timothy is to pass these orders on to others, those whom he's ministering to. And and the word conveys a sense of urgent obligation. It's not just whenever you want, it's now. Do this now. And so Paul says that he entrusts this command to Timothy. And and the the word entrust is used as keeping something valuable for someone, you know, in in safekeeping. Uh, It's used of making a deposit in a bank. It's, It's also entrusting a loved one to someone else's care. I'm entrusting my baby to you. I'm entrusting my grandmother to you. It's entrusting someone to take care of whatever it is they've been entrusted with. And I want to say that the lesson for us is this. The ministry is not an optional choice. It's not an optional choice for people who seem to be more dedicated. Well, they're in the ministry. No, we're all in the ministry. My point is that God doesn't call for volunteers. You're enlisted in his army when you respond to the call of Jesus Christ. He's not looking for volunteers. The ministry is a sacred trust that God has given us to each individual, each person 
that we must obey and for which at some time we will give an account. That's kind of scary. That scares me. When I think about standing before Almighty God and the things that he has entrusted to me, I will give an account for. He trusts us with his ministry. I mean, if God has called you to himself, then he has called you to serve. You're under orders. You're under orders and you do your ministry to please him, not for the thank yous and not so that you can gratify yourself in that and saying, boy, look what I did. It's not about us. It's about him. Second principle, the ministry is people building into the lives of people who build into the lives of people. I mean, this is what ministry is. We see this principle in 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 2, where Paul writes this. He says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And, and, and I, I love that. The principle is Paul entrusted certain things to Timothy. And Timothy was to entrust them to others. And those others were to entrust them to others. And that's how the ministry works. See, it's a process of multiplication. Where a more mature Christian, a little bit further in their walk imparts life in Christ to one who is younger in their faith so that that person can grow to maturity and do the same thing with others. See, in verse 18, Paul, we see him involved in the process with Timothy, Timothy excuse me, who he calls his son. Literally, my child. And the word shows that ministry and this is very important, ministry is always in the context of warm, personal relationships. It's hard to do ministry with a brick wall. It's much easier with a person. But that's what ministry is. What often happens in the local church though is that ministry becomes institutionalized instead of being personalized. In other words, having a ministry might look like this. It comes to mean, well, I serve on the deacon body. I serve on the budget committee. I serve as a Sunday school teacher. All of these are important ministries. I'm not belittling them. But it's impossible to keep the institution, it is possible to keep the institution rolling along, but to miss the real heart of ministry, which is building into the lives of other people. We get busy doing, but we're not building into other people's lives. You know, I read about a, a new Christian who was leading a number of his friends to Christ, and he was seeing them grow in the Lord. But the people in his church, they kept encouraging him to become one of the sponsors of, of the high school youth group so that he could have a ministry. 
He was already involved in ministry. He was pouring into these people. That's what ministry is, building into others. And the reason ministry tends to become institutionalized is that we're threatened by people. Think about this. We're afraid to open up and share our lives. We're afraid to do that. We're afraid to have others be honest with us. It's so much more comfortable just to keep the institution functioning. But the ministry is not an institution. It's people. We're in the people business. Jesus Christ did not die for a building. He died for people. We need to understand that our ministry is about people. It's not about memorial brick and mortar. It's about the church. It's about leading the lost. It's about discipling and growing in our faith. Third principle. The ministry is in accordance with our spiritual gifts. In verse 18... Paul said, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might fight the good fight. And I really feel like that that part of the verse is connected to 1 Timothy 4.14, where across the page in my Bible, um, excuse me, the next page in my Bible, It is that page. It says, do not neglect, verse 14, chapter four, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. See, this, is, this refers to a, a confirmation, if you will, God's confirmation on Timothy's spiritual gifts. And I, I love this because it was through the elders of the church And if this is in this sense, it means that Timothy was ministering at Ephesus because of his divinely inspired spiritual gifts confirmed through the leaders of that church. And I think that's huge because sometimes we we use the spiritual gifts as a, a reason for not doing ministry. Like, that's not my gift so to speak. But ministry should be in accordance with the spiritual gifts that God has given you. I mean, God has given each one of us spiritual gifts to equip us for the unique ministries in the body of Christ. You can do things that I can't do because I don't have the gifts that you have and I don't have your personality. And so you can do things I can't do And when you minister in the area of your gifts, it's usually a source of joy. It's out of a sweet spot because God has given that to you and and he's equipped you to do that. But I wanna give you two quick cautions on the use of spiritual gifts. Don't sit around waiting for some special revelation of your gift. I mean, that's a lot of times what people do. Some Christians study the list of spiritual gifts and pray that God will reveal their gift to them. 
but they never get involved in serving. As you are serving, you discover your spiritual gifts. But if you're not serving, it's gonna be almost impossible for you to discover what your gifts are. I think this is important because to say that, you know, I don't know what my gift is, so I'm not going to serve, folks, that's a fallacy from the enemy. I mean, gifts are always revealed in the context of serving. So get involved in building people in Jesus Christ and your gifts will become obvious. The second caution is don't neglect serving in certain capacities because they aren't your gift. (laughs) I mean, we're all commanded to do almost every one of the tasks for which there is a spiritual gift. Sometimes people say things like, well, my gift is not evangelism, so I don't need to do any witnessing. No, we're called to do all of those things. Some people may be gifted in it, and others may not, but we're called to do all of those things. You know, it might be this. (laughs) Pastor, I don't have the gifts of helps, so I can't get involved in setting up tables and chairs. That's ridiculous. It just needs to be done. See, as your gift emerges, it it should define your primary focus for ministry, but it should not exclude you from the task that may be unpleasant to your personality. Timothy was a timid soul, and yet Paul was encouraging him to hang in there and confront these false teachers. See, being gifted doesn't mean that the, the Christian ministry is all fun. It's work and it's hard and some of it won't be fun, but it's necessary. The kingdom grows in that way. Moving on to the fourth principle, the ministry is a long fight, not a short picnic. Sometimes we feel like we can do something short term. We're only gonna do it for an an allotted period And, and you know, Paul doesn't say, uh, play the good Sunday school picnic. But instead, in verse 18, he says, and by them, you fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Folks, the ministry is spiritual warfare. You may not want to hear that. I'm not signing up for that. I'm I'm signing up for the easy road. You're sitting in the wrong seat then because it's anything but easy. It is spiritual warfare. And the, the, the word fight here signifies a campaign, not just a single battle. It's like a whole war that we're fighting. To change the metaphor, it's a marathon race, not a hundred yard dash. And the enemy is trying to trip you up on the marathon and get you to drop out. See, to serve the Lord faithfully, you've got to realize that you're in it for the long haul. And it isn't going to be easy. I mean, some people get all excited about ministry, but they burn out. Others get excited until a problem hits. 
and then they quit. Others bail out when they catch some criticism. And if you're involved in the ministry, you will get criticized. Anyone that's doing anything will get criticized. See, others, maybe they come into ministry and they expect instant results. And when it doesn't happen, they get discouraged and they quit. And others are so excited about ministry, but they don't get any training. And pretty soon, they dry up after just a little while. See, ministry to which God has called each one of us is a lifetime campaign against a powerful enemy. But here's a little side note, a little caveat. Timothy's fight was against men who were in the church. And that's usually where the battle is waged. Fifth principle. The ministry is more dependent on personal integrity than on polished technique. I mean, Paul encourages Timothy to to, to keep the faith and, 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 and a good conscience. And faith is likely a, a broad reference to both doctrine and belief. But Timothy is to hold his trust in the truth of the gospel. He's to walk with integrity. He's to walk uprightly. Not to do things deceitful. Not to, not to be wavering back and forth. But, but let his yea be yea and his nay be nay. Be able to walk with integrity in front of the people, the church in Ephesus. He's not to violate his conscience. Which is to be shaped by the word of God. And so belief and behavior always go together always in the case of the false teachers they had abandoned they had pushed away their good conscience resulting in what Paul calls a shipwreck of their faith men who teach false doctrine often do so to avoid the moral implications of God's truth in their own lives and the basis for having a ministry in the lives of others is to have a personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it all begins. We have to have a personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his word and to walk in obedience to him. That's what it means to to keep the faith and to have a good conscience. You know, we live in a day today that's gone crazy over methods. Hardly a week goes by where I receive flyers, mailers, emails from companies trying to sell stuff, programs, methods to the church. Oh, this will help your attendance. This will instantly help your attendance on Sunday morning. And while there may be some helpful methods I tend to avoid these techniques because the best method for ministry, any ministry, is to hold on to faith and a good conscience. Here's my point. If you have a reality with God, if you are being real with God, 
He will use you in fruitful ministry in the lives of others. But if you are not being real with God, then methods don't matter. You're going to suffer shipwreck in your faith. Make sure that you are being real with God when you prepare for ministry. Because this is so important. That you be upfront with him, not being fake, not being hypocritical, not doing this, not doing that, but having that time with God. I gotta move on. Sixth principle. We need to understand that the ministry also has casualties. Some people shipwreck their faith. To use a, another analogy, some go down in the battle. Some soldiers fall in the battle. See, we all have the tendency to put our eyes on certain church leaders instead of Christ himself. And while Satan can't cause Christ to fall, he can work on leaders who have a lot of people looking to them to follow them, but also looking to them for growth. So what does he do? He attacks the leaders. See, if such a person falls, you know that there are gonna be a lot of others who fall with them. So warn yourself of the danger of, from the enemy. We get self-confident. We get to a point where we get content and comfortable. And because we haven't been outright attacked in a while, maybe we don't sense the danger from the enemy. And maybe the reason we haven't been attacked in a while is because we're going the same way as the enemy. We're retreating when we should be taking the fight. There are casualties in ministry. If Satan can lull you into thinking that the Christian life and ministry to which you have been called is a Sunday school picnic instead of a war, then you're going to let your defenses down and he will be able to get to you. Don't be a casualty of this war. Lastly, I would say this. The ministry involves unpleasant tasks at times. Paul mentions two examples here by name. Hymenaeus and Alexander. And these men were apparently church leaders who were involved in some sort of sin, violation of their conscience, as well as doctrinal errors. Paul had delivered them over to Satan. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking, well, what does that mean? He delivers them over to Satan. Um, He uses the same expression when dealing with the Corinthian man in 1 Corinthians who is openly committing adultery with his father's wife. And Paul viewed the world as Satan's domain. I think this is big because to be in the church, to be in the church under the 
authority, if you will, of the church leaders, provides a person with a certain amount of protection from the devil and his attacks that come through the world. And what Paul likely means here is that these two men were delivered over to Satan's domain. They were put back out into the world, being, if you will, excommunicated from the church, excommunicated from the protective covering of the church and from the fellowship of its members. And we need to understand that they, Paul is saying this and doing this so that they will respond and come back to sound teaching so that they will know not to blaspheme. See, the goal of discipline is to restore, not to punish. The goal that we have for discipline, whether that's our children, whether that's in the church, no matter what it is, the goal of discipline is to restore, not to punish. I mean, Paul's desire was not to get rid of these men. His desire was for them to learn and be taught not to blaspheme. And that's really what he was was doing. And sometimes ministering to people involves the unpleasant task of confrontation. But folks, it must be done. If we're going to grow in Christ, if the body of Christ is going to reflect his holiness and his love. See, the ministry is not easy. But every person who knows Jesus Christ as Savior is called to serve. Knowing and allowing these and following these seven principles in ministry will help us to be faithful servants of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I'm wrapping this up now, but um, <laughs> there was a, a little boy. He, he, uh, he went to his first day of first grade. And when he was in kindergarten, he used to get out at noon every day. And so at noon, he started getting his stuff together, recognizing that he was about ready to go home. And his teacher, seeing an opportunity to to be positive, she said, you know, in, in kindergarten, you only had to stay here till noon. But this year, you get to stay all day. And he looked at her with shock on his face and And he blurted out, he said, who signed me up for this anyway? Who signed me up? Timothy probably felt that way. Who signed me up for this? As he's facing this daunting task of of confronting these false teachers. And that's how maybe some of you feel when you're involved in ministry. Who signed me up for this? I didn't sign up to set up tables and chairs. I didn't sign up to feed people. I didn't sign up to do this. But folks, that's the ministry. I'll tell you who signed us up. He signed us up. He, the Lord, he's the commander in chief. And he's the one who drafted us to serve faithfully in his army. You know, a pastor had a son who felt God's calling on his life and When the pastor heard it, he told his son, he said this, he said, keep close to God and keep close to people and bring these two together. But folks, this is every one of our tasks. Stay close to God, stay close to others and bring these two together.
I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come back up and uh, begin uh, leading us in another couple of songs here. But I want you to know something. If you're not involved in serving the Lord, remember that I'm defining service as being full of Christ, being full in your heart of Jesus Christ, and out of your fullness, seeking to build up others. And if you're not doing that, I'd like you to evaluate something. If you're not pouring into others, you need to ask the question, am I walking closely with Christ? Because you can't give out what you don't possess. You can't pour out what's not in there. The Lord always calls us to be with him before he sends us out to serve him. The other area you need to evaluate is this. Are you too self-focused? If you're so busy doing your own thing that you don't have time to serve the Lord, then you're too self-focused. If you're focused on yourself, you won't be looking for opportunities to serve others. See, God may not direct you to, to go to another country, but he does want each of us to live in reality with him here and now and then get involved in the lives of those in his church and with those who do not yet know Jesus as their savior. See, the, the goal is to tell others about Jesus but also help them to grow in their faith so that they can tell others also. That's our job as a good minister, but also as a good soldier in his army. See, the aim of the gospel is not to get a bunch of people to go to church on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. The aim is to transform sinners into servants of Jesus who live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so that we might serve him. See, the closer we walk with God, the more we are aware of the depths of our own sinful nature, which in turn drives us to a deeper appreciation of God's grace in our lives where we could be like Paul and say, I too am the foremost of sinners, but it's by his grace that he saved me. It's by his mercy that he gave me a ministry. And it's by him that all of this takes place. I don't deserve it and neither do you, but he did it for us. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you for this time. And Father, as we move towards a time of response, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in our hearts. God, that we would recognize how much we fall short.